0: Okay, so to start off the uh, class, we're actually doing an introduction to the book, um, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands. And this book in particular is one of the, uh, probably one of the best practical theology books sold and uh, probably utilized in the church today. So I'm not sure how many people have actually read this book or gone through the book. Anybody? Good. Yes. Yes. Yes, I have three, four, three. Okay, good. If everybody read the book, I prefer we pick something else. You know, we do something else. But uh, it's really an amazing book. We, we talked through it twice when I was in Kansas City. And um, the numbers of people were talking about what it did in their life and revealed the very issues of the heart of man. And it sort of keeps us focused on where change really happens on the inside out. So what I did, I'm just going to give you a brief overview. You can see if you have a handout, it just basically covers the theme of the book and some of the main points that he covers in the book, and then we'll unpack those as Jeff and I work through those week by week. I want to start with uh, scripture, of course. Um, I'd like for you to turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 5, my favorite chapter of the Bible, basically, next to Romans 6, probably. And this is a, a scripture that Paul Tripp himself preaches many, many times and uses in counseling regularly. And if you're counseling people or discipling them, this tends to be the go-to passage. The whole fifth chapter is amazing. But I'm, I'm going to be focusing on 11 through 21 for the purpose of the book. So we're sort of uh, unpacking a little bit about what Tripp talks about in the book and why we're instruments in the Redeemer's hands and sort of an attitude of our approach to sanctification and Christianity itself. And so I will try to navigate through those things. And so the text is 2 Corinthians 5, um, 11 through 21. Let me just make one more little comment about the book. Uh, this, uh, This book is worth having in your library. So if, if you purchase the book, you can get it on Amazon, uh, Kindle from 10 bucks all the way up to hard copy, $16. But it's worth having this in your library to go back over a few things. And you'll see the, the categories of the, the uh, table of contents when he talks about the best news, a reason to get up in the morning. He's talking about the gospel there. In the hands of the Redeemer, an attitude of that. Uh, do we really need help? And that's really that we're, we're needy people, but we, we don't realize our neediness. Uh, the, heart of, the heart is the target. Again, it's trying to reinforce true Christianity from the inside out. Understanding your heart's struggle. Following the wonderful counselor. Building relationships. Building relationships and identifying with suffering. Getting to know people. Discovering where change is needed. The goals of speaking truth and love. The process of speaking truth and love. Establishing agendas and clarifying responsibilities. Instilling identity with Christ and providing accountability. It's really comprehensive when it comes to change. In fact, the subtitle says, "People in need of change, helping people in need of change." I thought it was pretty cool. So, in, in order to sort of lay the groundwork for biblically for where Jeff and I are moving through, I thought we'd just break this text down a little bit in the time that we have, and it won't be exhaustive because I really studied a lot on this particular passage, and it's just. Full of so much I'd like to say, but I need to keep it in mind here that the book is really, the intro of the book is what we're really after. So, starting in verse 11, follow along with me if you would, and we'll talk about The first thing he's going to talk about right off the bat is that we're instruments with a new mind. With a new mind, we'll talk about that. He uses the word therefore, meaning that it's something really just important was said. If you think about five one through ten, he's now he's transitioning, therefore, because we know the fear of the Lord, assuming we do, right? We seek to persuade people, and Paul's defending himself in this whole process here as he's talking. We are completely open before God, and I hope we are completely open to your conscience as well. We are not uh, commending ourselves to you again, but giving you an opportunity to be proud of us so that you may have may have a reply those who take pride in the outward appearance rather than the heart. I think that's a good point. I underline that. And so therefore a lot of times he's saying that a lot of times people give credit to themselves for being religious, being moral, being obedient sometimes rather than character changes in their life. You know, humility and love and those character qualities. Verse 13 For if we are out of our mind it is for God if we have a sound mind, it is for you. Again, he's saying we're instruments with a brand new mind. If you think about that, we're not—we're no longer thinking in the flesh. We're not thinking human perspective. Again, if we're Christians, you should be trying to do some self-evaluation. If you work through this, you understand that if you're a Christian, you have a brand new mind. Your thinking apparatus is is different. You just can't think the same way. I felt out of love with police work; he felt in love with Christ, and. It, it wasn't my idea, but it, but it was just happening. And I had to understand that it was part of the, the plan of God. Look at verse 14. He goes on to say that we are instruments with a new motivation here. He said, for Christ's love compels us. The real word in there really means control in Greek. He controls us. He controlled Paul. He was, he was excited. That particular love and that atonement, he just couldn't believe. The grace of Christ. Since we have reached this conclusion... If one died for all, then all dies. It's an interesting passage there because he's talking about, is it he died and atoned for all? That's not what he's saying. He's saying that when he died for all, he died for all those who were in Christ, or we would say the elect. Otherwise we'd be universalist if we thought otherwise. But he died for all that, all, that they died. So in other words, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, um, that's a form of death to yourself. You're saying I no longer want to follow myself. I no longer want myself to be the, the deity of my life. Now, by faith, I'm trusting in Christ. I'm gonna follow Him in His ways. I'm thinking of Luke nine twenty three, where you're saying, "Deny yourself daily, pick up your cross, and follow me." Don't pick, follow me daily. So, again, as there's, a, there's a, a journey of dying to self in that sense. And He died for all of us. That those who live, those who are in Christ should no longer live for themselves. Now, this is a perfect passage. I underline that because that's a fruit, an evidence, it's a basic evidence of one following Jesus Christ. That we can argue and love ourselves to a point. We can make points about that. We can be prideful and sinful and carnal at moments. But overall, we're not living for ourselves, and we understand that. That's what we're living for, the one who died for them and was raised. Then he goes on in verse 16. He says, We're instruments with a new ministry. And verse 16 says, From now on, then, we do not know anyone in such a purely human way. You'll never look at people again when you're born again the same way you used to look at them. I'd look at them. I remember uh, Jeff brought a small child in my office at the school, and he was not thinking about his bad behavior, but he was like, Look at this little life. Look at this little life. And because his parents won't parent, because, it's, because this kid is so self-centered and prideful, and, and um, you know, just look at this poor little life. look at him. And I thought to myself, see, that's, that's seen through new eyes. That's having a, a ministry mind because of, of Christ. Otherwise, you say, look at this little brat. But now you look at this little life that's being wasted. And there's such, um, the parents could do, wow, it's amazing. So we never see anybody in a purely human way again in verse, in verse 16, even if we have known Christ in a purely human way. Yet now we no longer know him in this way. The Lord is much different than just a provider. we don't hand handouts all the time. And every time I pray, he answers my prayer. He just walks around with a, a divine pooper scooper, clean up my mess. That's not how it works. Verse 17. Therefore, because of this. Jeff didn't like that. He didn't know how to think that through in France. In French, you know, he's like, what's the French word for pooper scooper? I I can't remember. (laughs) Poupe, scoop. Okay, thank you. Translating that. Tones. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. And look, new things have come. I don't think we live in that transition, do we? When, we, when we're living in the real world, we're understanding that we're not living out the new life. When we we, we sort sort of approach our problems, we, we sort of approach it from the old life perspective. And sometimes I ask people I'm helping, I'm saying, is this part of the old life or is this new life? Is this old life thinking, new life thinking? Is this old life? You know, if you don't know the difference, there's a really sad moment there. You need to really work through that because... There is an old life and a new life in the sense of two operating systems here, right? So, <clears throat> verse 18 starts, everything is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us this ministry of reconciliation. He reconciled us so we can reconcile others. That's what we say in 19. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not accounting their trespasses against them. And he committed the message of reconciliation to us. That's our new ministry. Trying to rec- have the world reconciled. I'm like, thinking about my neighbor who is so worldly, amazing. And um, and he violates one of my favorite scriptures, the Proverbs 12.10. Remember that scripture? Anybody could quote that? Proverbs 12.10. Somebody want to do that? If you have like a you know, ESV or NIV or CSV. What do you, anybody have those kind of Bibles? The King James won't work. <laughs> Sorry, just in, it works every other time, but not in this one. Righteous <laughs> man has regard for his animal. Anybody? The godly take care of their animals. Okay, let's move on. That's fine. So I'm just thinking as a ministry of reconciliation, people don't need reformation, they need transformation. We don't see those through our new, the, the, old, the old man, we see those through new eyes. And God gave us this ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. So he continues on, verse 20, where instruments with a new mission. And so therefore, we're ambassadors in Christ. Sometimes I forget about all these things. It's important that, we're, that we function as an ambassador. We, we live in front of people as if Christ is real. I, I tell parents all the time, your, your job isn't to make them saved. Your job isn't to teach them every detail of God when they're young. Your job is to validate the truth about God by living it that way in front of them. My kids all knew the difference. And then it caused them to yearn and say, "What is the difference in it? Because this God must be real. He's thanking him for every check they give. He's thanking him. He's, he's he's praying like the God is real. We're ambassadors for Christ, certain that God is appealing through us. We plead on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. You notice that that passion that Paul's showing here. We should have that similar passion. And he made the one who did not know sin to be sin." In verse 21 is MacArthur's go-to passage all the time. He made the one did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. MacArthur said this way. He treated Christ as if he was me in my sin. He punished him. And then he treats me as if I am Christ in righteousness and perfect and, and righteousness. So, and that's really what it is. It's interesting. And we, we, I don't know if we ponder on that enough, but this is what the book will just unpack, these, the, the heart issues of all these things that we're really looking through. So in, in sort of in transition to that, I'm going to say we're doing the text. Now we're going to do the big idea. Uh, any thoughts about that on 2 Corinthians 5, 11 through 21? If it's on your heart or mind about that? give you a chance to respond. Okay. Uh, I think it's ESV. Yeah. I got a Jehovah's Witness Bible of the New World Translation. It didn't it didn't line up, so I didn't use it. No, it's ESV. Sorry. Thank you. I looked at the book reviews on this thing, and this guy Jay said it's a wonderful, very practical book. The title says it well, and it's impacted my wife and I in helping resolve a pattern of minor ongoing conflict that we've had for years and th- those truly who are uh, had these desires um, to live a life in an effective way for the lord and his kingdom work should find this book very helpful and change and it makes serving effectively a reality he said i've been a christian for 50 over 50 years and now 75 years old and an old book like this um so, so I wish that I would have read this book, he said, 20 years ago. It would be a much better servant of Christ if I had just done that. So if you get this book, take it serious because it will help you. It's just one of the Amazon um, reviews of the book. So it's, it's a very effective book. Let's get some of the big ideas that we talk about here. Uh, the people, he says in the book, are really his ambassadors for change. And the purpose is that we need each other. Too much Christianity is done independently. You know, we go to our counselors around the pastors and out of the church. We go to other, we hop around to other churches. And we do a lot of stuff online, a lot of stuff, um, blogs and stuff that independent. But we have to have the body of Christ. He, he brings this out in the book very well. That we're ambassadors of change, but we're all involved in that work. God uses us for each other. And the people of God are his ambassadors for this change. So he calls it, thus, we're in the hands of the Redeemer, or the De- Redeemer's hands. Now, God's grace makes change and holiness possible. If you want to have one word that Paul would, Paul trip his maiden word, biblical word he uses in his, all of his sermons and all of his work is what? Do you remember? That's the one word he could summarize his work that he likes to talk about. It's a topic. Grace. Grace. Amen. That's what he talks about. Grace makes changes and holiness possible. And God's ambassadors apply his grace to others as well. We, we give grace to others. That's the, that's the secret of building good relationships. And so he talks about this word ambassador. And we know that just the definition clearly is a, an accredited diplomat, a representative to a country. In a foreign country, a person who acts as a representative or a promoter of a specific activity. So a representative, dip- diplomat, or a promoter. Um, so he wants us to be a representative to him, a diplomat to the world, and promoter of Christ, I would think. Also, he talks about the four elements of a biblical ambassador. Uh, See, again, he says he doesn't want revivals for our heart. That sort of kind of rubbed me at first. Then I realized that it wasn't just trying to get a revival uh, because he says no amount of theological knowledge or amount of participation in the church is a substitute for a real relationship with God. Notice that. So having a real relationship with God is, is sort of fluid, a little subjective in the sense that you can't, it's not a system. I read four books or I, I went through Discipleship 101 through 104. I went, you know, it's not like that. It's not theological knowledge. It's really having a right relationship with God with theological knowledge. The point is that God uses us to help others so that God might rule over their hearts. So we're like the ambassador. We're the conduit of his grace to each other. Interesting about that. Did you have a question? Okay. Uh, we make an appeal to others to be reconciled to God. This is part of the, what the book's talking about here, And all areas of their are lives. Versus just stop sinning. Um, I think that's a a normal thing. If I, I'm something, I'm suffering that. We just want to stop that. I realize um, that you want to stop sinning, but the idea is that you're being reconciled to God. So when we have, when we're not walking the way the Lord wants to walk, or think the way. Lord wants us to think it's always a bigger spiritual problem of a relationship with God. It's always the answer to have a better relationship. Jesus is our example, he says, and showcases four elements, and I'm going to talk about that right now. He talks about to love. Um, These are not four steps of process. He didn't treat it that way. In the book, uh, he really talks about these four elements of biblical ministry. Love is the foundation for personal change. In fact, it's the foundation to address everything. In fact, when you're um, addressing your children, maybe your small children and they're not acting right, you could, uh, you could advise them they broke a family rule. You can advise them that they hurt your feelings. But the best way to do that is, is that love? Is that really truly love? Because that's really the, the idea. That's their ultimate goal is to be other-centered and, and self-sacrificing in and true biblical love. So to love is a personal foundation of change. Knowing that knowing is also not surface knowledge, but heart knowledge, and I think we talked about that once before. That change never works when we throw information at the problem. Information at the problem is you use information for a purpose, but that's not always what it is. I got marital problems, so I, I go to more uh, marriage seminars um, and things like that. It's not it's not I'll read another book knowledge never fixes our problems, so it's not the way he's not talking about it. He's talking about the real word of knowledge where it's an intimacy. And you'll see in the book, especially on part two of the book, he really gets into that intimate part of Christ. It started changing my thinking a lot about Christianity, that it's really uh, about relationships. If you're parenting, it's about relationships. Your marriage is about relationships. You can solve problems, you can be angry. But you put your energy towards trying to solve the problem as you protect the relationship. So if I'm going too far in this damaging relationship, I back up, even if I'm right. And I go slower, and I try to preserve the relationship. And this is what Paul talks about in the book, you're going to love it. That's what Trump, Trump would say, wouldn't well, You're going to love it. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. How, how would he say it, Mark? I forgot. That sounds probably what he was say. yeah. I know you can t- How would he say it? You, you say it like he you said it. You're going to love it. Okay. So the other one he's talking about was um, to um, get below the surface is knowing, to get below the surface of the person I speak. And so he talks about it declares the truth of God's word to make heart change possible. Remember that the spirit of God uses the word of God in the child of God. To produce the will of God for the glory of God. That's how it works. So the Spirit uses the Word. I mean, you can't have this one deep relationship um, if, you're not, if the Bible isn't the center piece of the relationship for Christ. You, your relationship is superficial at best if, if it's not built around the Word of God. Or your attempts to build a relationship, if it's not biblical, will always be carnal. So you have to be careful. That's what he's, that's what he's going to talk about. And to do, um, or to act, calls for a response to that truth. Too often, in typical secular thinking, or even in weak evangelical circles, people are, um, they don't like being held accountable. They don't want to respond appropriately. They, They just want to talk about their problems. We call it talk therapy in counseling, but in normal terms, it is, they think it's therapeutic to just talk about their pain. And it's not therapeutic to talk about your pain. It's to have have suffering and hope is where that's, that's where therapy comes in. I mean, where you have hope, that's where you suffer. And so, just to talk about it is not, in itself, doesn't, isn't therapeutic. And so that's the way it is in discipleship. Just talking about being good people, talking about being obedient, talking about uh, some of the things we may have common interest in is, is fine, but it's it's not going to bring heart change. You have to have the Word of God uh, under the Spirit of God as the, as, the, as the goal. So we always try to remember this. I don't know if you remember me saying this, but I think I've said it before, that the Bible is the only true reality in life. So everything the Bible says is a reality. Everything else could be a concept. It could be, it could be true, but truth it is really found in the Scripture. It's the only true reality for us as a Christian. So it has to be the centerpiece of our change, of our our growth, and he, and Paul brings this out. You know, you'll see it just weaved all throughout the book when you see that. So the book's framework uh, for personal ministry, which he's saying is to one another, helps all Christians in the church because we are needy. Um, when you think of needy, how many people are actually needy in here? Would like to us to take an offering for you? Anybody? <laughs> Ben says, take one for him. I mean, he just had a baby. And that's very expensive. One for the baby. One for the baby. Oh, that's a good way to go. Then if they say no to one, they give the other one. It's good. Yeah, because spiritually we are needy. We're needy. We're always growing. And if you think you've arrived, you're probably needier than you think. Um, so this book talks very much, the very first part, talks about how needy we really are and how we're equipped. We're not ready to really help one another, but... In that whole process, um, we're able to help diagnose each other with the scripture in light of the scripture. And he talks about that. So the major points of the book is that we're naturally needy. And uh, when he used the word naturally needy, what is he saying here? What does that bring in your mind? thinking of First Corinthians 2.14, basically, or three one two. Anybody? You think about the needy naturally, huh? It's just our, it's our condition to be born as a human being, to be born without God. We're natural men. We're needy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're needy because we're, because of the fall, we're pretty needy. Uh, we, we We're not glorified yet, and we're still in this process, so we're, we're always a needy. We're always needy in the sense that we need more of the Word of God. We need more of Christ's grace. We need more love. We need to love more, and so we're always in a position. He says, "We, assume, we he, in the book." He says, "We assume our neediness neediest because neediness, because we're sinful." And the Bible presents us to being needy because we're human. Here's some quotes that he uses in the Bible. I just wrote a few of them down. Uh, we're created to be dependent. It says, even before the fall, Adam and Eve were created to be dependent. Man, that just sounds so countercultural, doesn't it? I mean, we always think about our kids growing, and we want you to be independent. I don't know. They want to be independent in some sense, but we have to ultimately be dependent on God. And so he used that page 40 in the book. Genesis 1, he said, here's another quote, confronts us with the fact that our need for help preceded sin. We were created to be dependent. Trying to live without God. This is a good quote. Trying to live without God helps. Without God's help is to assign myself a subhuman existence. Um, And most of our problems, if you remember right, and I think it's going to be very evident when you do chapter one, most of our problems are being independent. We want to be independent of our marriage, our spouse. When the two became one, you know, biblical math: one plus one is one. And we become very independent of the church when we we're supposed to be gathering together as a body, functioning together. We need each other; every part needs each other. Ephesians four. And so he, he kind of reemphasized that in the book, which really is very helpful when we're really trying to help the change process. Here's another quote: We not only interpret situations, relationship we. In, interpret ourselves. We assign ourselves in an identity and then we live it out. I don't know every implication in that but that he's talking about here, but people do live out in the concepts they have of themselves. It's unfortunate. If you learn to understand that whatever you're thinking could be flawed apart from the scripture, whatever you're thinking is inept when it comes to the solution to life, if you if you have a default mechanism that helps you Think the, the, the reality of, of who you are. It's very helpful. I always tell people there's two things you have to try to master. is good theology, but also good anthropology. Good anthropology helps you understand who man really is, according to the fall. And we just take that for an assumption. I'm preaching to the choir here. But in, in general, your friends, your neighbors, even your kids growing up, they never really understand who they are as a human or who they are in Christ. And that identity really becomes important. He says another thing that's important. I wrote another quote. He said, God intended worship to be the motivational core of our lives. Worship on page 44. Again, I don't know what the implications completely are, but it sounds interesting, doesn't it? I'm not so sure that worship is what drives me all the time, but it should. To live in such a way that brings glory to God all the time. Or to speak in a way that brings God glory all the time. And the last little quote I wrote down was, if it is true that all human beings are constantly trying to make sense of life, then all of life is counseling our personal ministry. So counseling is just the stuff of human life. So that we all have problems. We all need counselors. We all are counselors. So everybody needs counselors. So we're all counseling each other. We're helping each other. And in a proper term, we'd be disciples of one another. And I think over the years, the word disciple has been misinterpreted you know in the bigger picture of evangelicalism and so the universal church doesn't see that picture of uh, very biblical if i if i see it very biblical it's we're helping people journey through real things of life and that's kind of what he talks about in the book pages 40 through 50. Um, the second thing he's the big picture here the main point is ministry changes hearts personal ministry and counseling are not about behavior change but heart change which behavior flows from we've said this over and over again and I just hope that you you see that most of all that change happens from the inside out we're not to depend on our own insights about self that's why self-esteem self-evaluation self-worship is it's you're dipping water out of the wrong well if you really want an honest picture even even um, Bridges said, you can't believe everything you think because you can't be trusted to tell yourself the truth. So stay in the word. That's his famous quote. So we're not to depend on our own insights about self. God's word is the only one that's dependable insight into life. Okay. You'll get that in the book and we'll unpack that um, as it comes up there in chapter two, three. Uh, An idol of the heart is anything that rules me other than God is another quote. The only way to understand your anger is to examine your own heart. These are quotes, and you'll, he'll give you the context of that. And God is eternally unwilling to share our hearts. Um, so thank God for that. Our God is eternally unwilling to share our hearts. And we're thankful for that. I don't know the context of that, but that's one of his quotes in the book. Uh, the last one for the major points is Christ incarnation example mm-hmm. and he brings this up about ministry again <clears throat> um of course the incarnation of christ is our example for personal ministry especially in, of love in other people's lives and here's the, here's what he brings the emphasis is jesus is the ultimate exposition of how god intends people to think and live i thought that was good jesus is the ultimate exposition of of how God intends for people to think and live. We represent God's purposes for the people He places in our life. Uh, it's a much much broader commitment to formal ministry. It occupies part of our schedule. He talks about how he acknowledges our lives right before the King. We're working out salvation. We're working out our sanctification and and, and communion or in community rather. He said ambassadors must die to their own own kingship to properly represent the one true king. I thought that was the best. The ambassadors must die to their own kingship to properly represent the one true king. So we're the, we're the number one most competing power against God's work, God's kingship. We are. He came to rescue us from ourselves. It's another term he uses in the Bible. And so the conclusion is God's children are his ambassadors. The book's going to talk about that. Um, They minister personally to his children using his message, methods, and character. And then the message of the gospel is grace. Not rules. Not regulations. Not the rigidity. But some grace. Grace does never excuse disobedience or sin. And he said the methods are loving and knowing the people. The person speaking the truth and helping them apply this identity in Christ for heart change. We're instruments in the Redeemer's hands. We're people in need of change, helping people in need of change. This is what he says in the book, uh, in the conclusion. It's a glorious calling. That's how he ends this, which means this could only have been God's idea. I think it's why he's so successful in the book. Um, Questions or thoughts? Comments about that? Here's some things I wanted to conclude then. The message is grace. Um, I just quoted that for you. And then order the book. Read chapter one for the next uh, class. If you need me to copy the first chapter for you. It's fine, but I think you can get it in a couple of days from Amazon. They'll ship it to you if you can find somebody with Prime. This is a book worth having in your library, I promise. Any other book, I would say, I don't know, but this book is definitely worth having in your library. It's the core book in all this counseling certifications throughout the country, all three of them. Uh, you have to write so many things. I used it in seminary. Students had to write papers on that. Um, and it's life-changing. It really is life-changing. Wow. Any any questions, thoughts, comments? Yes. Um, That's a good point. I think... It's one of his first books... What's the copyright? Okay, that's what I'm trying to see. But you do need glasses, right? So. <laughs> it's real. Yeah, it's really tiny here. Um, wow, I teach. Start first edition was '73 and '84 was the last one. I don't know if that's right. That doesn't seem right, does it? 50, help me out here, Tell me if that's right or not. He made a million dollars on the book. I know yeah. that in Amazon. <laughs> that's like desiring God. He made one of those. 2002. 2002. No later, no earlier. 2002. So it's man, it's almost eighteen years old now. Good. All right. Questions, thoughts, or comments? Last chance. We're going to get the book. We're going to study it. Pastor will jump in. He does not know who, he's, who he is right now or where he's at. He's thinking about about an hour away from now, but uh, we'll tag team and and we'll unpack this thing. So we hope to have your input and your comments and responses, and hopefully, you know, it'll help you in your own ministry as well. Okay, let's pray. So, Father, we are grateful that you know we have an opportunity to study the book as you and you guided uh, Doctor Tripp through this process and in this um, getting to the heart of the issue. Sometimes very touchy subject, but um, we do pray that we will grasp these principles and understand the biblical truths that are presented, and that we will be serious about this in our journey as you of uh, mandating this, you, you um, made it providence that uh, we're even here listening and learning through the journey. You, no one knows the day and the hour that, that we'll be you know, whisked away uh, from this world. Or every day that passes by, I think about the people that I'm impacting, um, even uh, children and grandchildren. And so may those principles just ooze out of our life and our, our heart that we will affect people for the gospel's sake. We love you, and I ask you your extra grace for my friends in this room and all the things they're dealing with. Um, comfort their hearts as only you can do. We give you glory and praise in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, God.